Welcome to episode 5 of 10 of this series week entitled Retrospective. In this episode, we discuss the nature of building of networks. So building a community, a peer group, friends, basically the nature of like keeping in touch and how horrible I am at doing that. Additionally, a number of my cohorts were also, um, let's call it foreigners. So people not born and raised in the United States and or have left it, such as myself as an expat. And the nature of being a, a sort of a not from the United States, but having to engage with the U.S. educational system. In this episode, you will hear conversations with my fellow graduates in this order. Sonia Heinrichsen, Alison Goldberg, Amanda Marchand, Barbara Bartos, Lizea Lyons, Mira Hecht, Peter Wu, Ricardo Rivera, and Erez Golan. Yeah, so actually my situation is almost similar to yours because I left right after grad school and went back to Germany. So I lived in Germany for, uh, what was that, like, ah, let's see, three years. Even though within those three years, I would come back to the United States a few times for artist residencies, but they were not in the Bay Area. They were elsewhere in the country. So I actually feel the same way that I severed a lot of my connections to teachers and to uh, to everybody and then when I was back here I was not here most of the time meaning here the Bay Area I was mostly you know like elsewhere at artist residencies and the, the few months per year that I was back here you know if I ran into somebody let's say I ran into Doug Hall sometimes and I still run into Doug Hall sometimes and you know he and I, I also ran into Paul Koss a few times in the beginning years and they would always be surprised to see me and say hey are you visiting and I'm like no I'm not visiting I live here now you know but so so basically it it uh it was uh, it, it was uh, it was actually quite similar to you because when i came back after those 3 years so much time had already passed that i was already sort of an outsider but then i also have to say that not too many of at least of the people that i was in touch with during grad school stayed in the bay area not very many stayed a lot of them went away some people went to new york i was in touch with hema um, uh, Alavo, who is in New York, who moved to New York for a long time. We are still in touch sometimes. I visited a few times. So there was a connection there. Uh, at, at least, a, yeah, there was a, we were good friends for a while, but I haven't been in touch very much um, lately. Also because life got in the way. I just don't have the time to be in touch very much and it sucks, but it's, it's, just, it's just life gets in the way. And in terms of here, I was in touch with a few people, uh, but it has also trickled off. It really has. And it's probably partly because I don't keep it up because I'm not having enough, having the time to socialize. And, uh, you know, so, um, and, and, and a few people also, I, I know at least of one or two people who, uh, uh, you know, went like a lot of them got married and had kids, but then also some people, you know, went into other careers after. They didn't stay in the arts. They did something else. They are not artists anymore. So, yeah, so I don't think I'm in touch with very many people anymore at this point. Yeah, professors 
not not professors either. I mean, I, I was in touch with Sylvie for a while, who, by the way, has passed away since. Oh, sorry. Yes, she died, I think, last year. And I was in touch with a few people from outside the country too. Moitza, who is in, in Ljubljana, who lives in Ljubljana. Uh, I, I was in touch with her for a long time. And then with another woman, Misa, who was actually an undergrad student, student while we were grad students. I think she graduated the same year. She went on and, and uh, uh, did a, a master's degree in, in, I think it was landscape architecture at UC Berkeley. And then she moved to Melbourne, Australia. And she, she, she now has a PhD. And now she moved to Glasgow and she is teaching in Glasgow. So she had like <laughs> a, a, a lot of... Um, but, you know, she's been doing great, I think. Um, and I visited her in Australia because I had an artist residency. This was, when was this? This was just before the pandemic. It must have been 20, 20, 2018. Yes, 2018. Before they, the year before they had those big fires there. And I was so glad I finally did that artist residency because I had delayed that several times. And she moved away. I think it must have been uh, that same year she moved, uh, she moved into the UK. Uh, she also has husband and kids and, you know, so it's, I kind of feel a lot of times like I'm a little bit of an outsider, you know, because I don't have all of this. Uh, I don't have kids. I don't have a partner. I don't, I, I'm often kind of like sort of um, <laughs> at the fringes of society in a strange way, you know, like I'm, I often don't quite fit in. And that might be part of the reason why I haven't stayed in touch with a lot of people. Could be, I don't know. Yeah. It's also funny here in the Bay Area, and this might sound very, very ridiculous, but once you move to the East Bay from San Francisco, you are in a different world. They are not, like, San Franciscans don't travel across that bridge. I know. They, yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> In my two years there, I think I only crossed that bridge once, and that was to yeah. buy a very particular art supply from a store in in o Oakland that I couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's it's very different. It's very different if you live in the East Bay. You always go into the city. You know, it's like totally normal to me to go over there. Um, Sometimes, you know, now that I work there, I go over there several times a week, but. It's very funny. This actually kind of, I think that is basically when my, uh, I had, I was good friends with Patricia and uh, that kind of died. And I, you know, I invited her over a few times and she would, it was just always difficult. And at some point I just somehow let it go because it, I, it, it seemed very hard to keep the ball rolling at some point. I think she was very busy with work and out and, you know, and stuff. And I was busy in my in my things and at some point i just thought okay let's just not worry about it for a while and i mean maybe you know we'll, we'll we might be friends again at some point i don't know but just right now i'm not very much in touch with her okay i want to go back a step because you brought up the fact that you moved and you had to learn a new network and a new group of people this is a mistake that i believe i made in my career numerous times which is mm -hmm. leaving basically mm -hmm. moving to somewhere new. And like you said, having to sort of rebuild networks and figure out the way the system works in that new location. So like, how, so you graduated and then you moved to Los Angeles and you were there for 10 years and then you moved from Los Angeles to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. 
So how did how did those movings and the, those changes of networks and changes of situations uh, affect your career, I guess? I think I might frame it more as identity rather than career. Frame it however you'd like. That's fine. Because I didn't really have a career. <laughs> so I think... Moving from San Francisco to LA, you know, San Francisco is very a very provincial city, and it is, it is. <laughs> um, okay, I, I was only there for school. Like, I literally landed, went to school, and left, and like, mm -hmm. I, I didn't really get into being in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, what I mean by that is. And it's since changed since we lived there because of the whole dot-com industry. But growing up there, there was a whole countercultural movement. It was an affordable city that allowed people who were creative to live there. And then through the course of my childhood, it morphed into being a very expensive city. The people who when I, when we lived there, who could afford to support the arts, they were old San Francisco money and they were very conservative and not really interested in supporting contemporary art, in my opinion. Sounds about right. And so moving to Los Angeles, where it is so much about youth culture and the film industry and the music industry, many of those people who are successful are young and they have a lot of money and they're interested in supporting other creative individuals. And so that was a different way to think about, you know, what the art world meant in a larger context and who was consuming it and who was supporting it and all those things. Winston-Salem happens to be a lot more like San Francisco in the sense that there's old money here. <laughs> and so there are not a lot of new ideas, new creative ideas that are supported. I'm shocked to hear that about Winston-Salem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that no, Winston Salem's very provincial. I would put provincial to Winston Salem, not San yeah. Francisco. <laughs> yeah. For us, we didn't move here because it was, you know, a cultural mecca. We moved here because it was, you know, a quiet place to raise a family that was affordable and and offers a lot offers us a lot of time. Um, we didn't move here because we were expecting, you know, an advancement in you know, an art career. That's not why we moved here. That's not why anybody moves to Winston. -Salem. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that I learned too late, quite honest. Well, not too late, but I, I it took me probably 17 years to learn after graduate school was 
how much of a community it takes. Like there, there's the old romantic idea of like artists in the studio smoking cigarettes and just like making something and then handing it off to a gallery and the gallery then does you know whatever else with it or handing it off to a curator and they do something with it and the artist is pure and they, they stay untainted in the thing. In in the honest to God truth, it's those are all relationships. Like so, they're they they are your community, and you had to from the get go. And it's always been this way. I just didn't realize it. Is is that it? You should have made strong relations with all of those people because it takes those strong relations to take an idea an artist has and manifest it and then get it to the right places and get it to the right place exhibitions or the right collectors or the right publishers or whatever and it, it, those relationships are the the fundamental nature of it because otherwise you're just somebody that's making something in your garage and it's not getting to the right places or the right people and you have to have those connections sadly i didn't realize that until just maybe three years ago well, it's a good thing you've realized it now. And I would say once you realize it, you got to put it to use. I know. I told Lizea when we were talking, I was like, if, when, I, when I went to grad school, I, was, I remember saying this to somebody one time. We were out like drinking somewhere and, somebody, and, and, I, and I said, I'm not in grad school to make friends. I'm here to get my degree so I can teach. And that is so wrong. <laughs> Like that was completely the wrong way to do that. Going to school is about the community that you then create from that. And the, the piece of paper is, it's just a piece of paper. It's, it's actually not your career. Your career is the relationships you built. Yeah. And I've now learned that at 45 years old. Yeah. Well, at least you've learned it. That is something. At least I learned it while I can still do something about it. Yeah. No, I wish I would have made friends. I would have liked to, but I've always felt like, speaking of being an expat, uh, I've been living outside of my country for since I was 24. And I still... I'm adapting and now I changed the country and I changed the language. By the time I got fluent in English and, you know, I can speak in jargon, uh, <laughs> I left. So, and, and here I, I almost have the same thing that I had at the beginning in the U.S. You know, I felt self-conscious. I have an accent. I, it took a while. I think I understood everything, not in terms of language, in terms of how things work, in terms of, you know, culture. And I wasn't cool. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I mean, I drink a glass of wine like that, eating. But I'd never been cool, you know. So I never been part of the <laughs> the cool kids. Uh, never. Why? Wait. Why is drinking and smoking the cool because kid thing? Because <laughs> if you don't do it, nobody you're like you're like boring. Nobody's inviting you anywhere. <laughs> they are both very social oriented things, for sure. Yeah. Um, all I'm trying to say is that I um, I was battling for good part of my time there this thing of being self-conscious of being from outside and not understanding everything. So again, I kept blaming that as maybe that's why I didn't make friends. Maybe that's why I didn't know how to, know how to, to function. 
And obviously, if I would have made friends, more friends, probably I would have learned a few things and at in the moment that I could have used, you know, not after. Well, I mean, you brought up the issue of like connections and staying, and this has been one of those big things that I have realized in my uh, age and distance and time that I made a, a huge mistake in my career because I always thought that I would go out and experience the world more. I would go out to different places and try different things and all this. And what it ended up doing was ended up cutting a lot of my networks and my ties to a lot of the people that could have helped me to actually have built a better career. And so that's actually one of the large things that like I realized like, oh, I would never recommend that to anybody. I mean, like having a home base somewhere and then going to residencies or going on trips or even just like taking a year off and going doing a project, whatever, that's fine. But like staying somewhere and keeping those connections, I realized that that was one of the probably the biggest mistake I made in my career. Like San Francisco, like pretty much within a month of graduation, I was out. Me too. I was like, see ya. <laughs> like just done. Well, it it was expensive then too. Well, yeah, after the dot-com boom and all that. And I had moved there in 1992. So, you know, I was there for eight years. So, or 93. Yeah, no, 92. I was there for nine years. And I just sort of wanted to be back closer to the East Coast. And I'd always wanted to live in New York. And yeah, you know, again, I was like, I had just turned 30. And I was like, whatever. Like, so... I don't know what I thought was going to happen in New York either. It wasn't like, I didn't have this sense of urgency of like, I need a New York gallery because I had signed with the gallery in San Francisco. And, and then again, like, I think maybe I thought I was going to teach. I didn't put a whole lot of effort into that. And yeah, I honestly just didn't worry about it because, you know, again, after nine 11, we were out of our how our apartment and it was just like, that was the furthest thing from my mind. So but, and, and then having the gallery there at least, and I did five shows with them. So I, I did go back and forth, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it would have been better to maintain those connections a little bit more. Well, a lot of the, like, I mean, it sounds bad, like, but a lot of the successful stories I hear, I put that in air quotes for a reason, are, are people who like were the teaching assistant to somebody and then continued to have relations with them or they were a student studio assistant to somebody and then they continued to have relations to like those like mentor apprentice kind of relationships those kinds of things like i even know some people that just like stay in contact with some of their teachers even 20 years out and i'm just like i haven't spoken to them in 20 years and i didn't even speak to them outside of class when we were there <laughs> like I'd, you know like I, it's funny because like i look back on my college and i stupidly what i thought was i thought the point of going to get an mfa was the degree like i thought so i thought the piece of paper was going to make it so i had the credibility to do whatever you know be a gallery artist be in institutional exhibitions teach whatever the kind of thing that that would give me but i now in hindsight look back and i'm like no no the mfa program is where you 
build your community like so that the, it's it was all about the, who you met and who you got to know and who you were influenced by and all this that because a lot of those people ended up being curators or gallery owners or other things they weren't necessarily artists in their own rights but they they were the people that could have supported you know the building of my career that I negate I didn't put the effort into getting to know them and be their friend because I was so focused on getting that degree right yeah I mean it's kind of like you know the MBA of art like it's not necessarily it's like okay yeah the school matters but it's like who you connect with at the school and who those people are connected with and yeah what you keep doing with it and yeah, I didn't, a lot of people worked for other photographers after school and I didn't because I couldn't, like I couldn't put in some 12 hour a day at someone else's studio. I was a mom. So, and I still, I mean, a lot of, most of my teachers have passed away now, sadly. So that feels, you know, it's like, all right, the good ones are gone. But I continue to struggle with it because I refuse to do Facebook and I, I, I mean, I've never been on Facebook and Instagram. I just use it for personal stuff. So I'm a little envious of you for those things because I have to do them for my jobs. I just couldn't do it. And like, it's one of those things, like, I think when you know you have an addictive personality, you have to manage certain things. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I probably miss a lot there. And uh it's a mixed bag. You're right. You're some things you're missing, but some things you are completely not missing, and you are probably a happier, less stressed person because of it. Yeah, I, I just felt like the the, uh, the benefits did not outweigh the risks there. So in my mind, it's like, all right, I'll find a different way to be connected. So, well, a couple different things happened. I mean, I knew by the end of my second year there that I was going to leave and go to New York. Like, that was kind of always my plan because I had gotten divorced and my ex-husband was still there, but he got married and had another kid. And I was like, I really want to go to New York, but I'm going to stick this out for two years and see what happens. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to New York. And as far as like, which I think in a sense was maybe, I'm not going to say it's not the best choice, but in terms of like maintaining connections, I think that made it very difficult for me <laughs> because I had uh, a lot of my time in grad school, I spent trying to connect with the painting, the painters in the painting department. I would sign up for the painting critique classes with Mark Van Proyen, who's, you know, he's a badass. <laughs> like I loved him. And Amy Ellingson, who's an abstract and encaustic artist, and Brett Reichman, and a lot of the people in the painting department were just fun. It was different, and they had a different perspective on my work. And I don't know that I offered them much in terms of critique, but I, they were helpful to me. So I remember Mark Van Proyen had said, like, I said, oh, I want to do this program at the Whitney, which looking back was kind of ridiculous because that's not, I'm not the kind of artist that the Whitney takes. He said, what about Marin Headlands? Which I think probably would have been a good fit. And no, 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 I got to go to New York. So, you know, I probably would have had teaching opportunities. And when you stay in the place where you go to grad school, I think you, 
build on those connections and foster those relationships. However, I guess we must have had our work up at Fort Mason for a while before graduation. And at that point, Heather Marks, who became my gallerist, had seen the work. So she came and did a studio visit with me before graduation and said, I'm opening a gallery and basically signed me on from that day. So I said, well, I'm moving to New York. And she said, that's fine. So I had the gallery before I left. Wow. I know, which is really amazing. And I, I'm still friends with her and her husband. Uh, The gallery has been closed for a while now, but that was a solid 12 years. (laughs) Yeah, they were wonderful. (laughs) And that was such a good time too. I mean, 2001 and then, you know, the galleries were on Geary street and, it was just so different. And like, I remember her coming to my studio, one of the studios we had on Chestnut street and was so nervous and, but it was fine. So we signed papers and that was that. And I graduated and picked up and moved to New York. And then we moved to lower, I moved, lived in lower Manhattan. So nine 11 impacted us quite a bit. <laughs> But the gallery opened in November of 2001. So yeah, that was a, it was a good time there. <laughs> so I have a question for you real fast. Sure. Do you, do you feel like doing the MFA helped you to teach? Because I know when we went to school, it was like you do an MFA because you can teach which I never, I didn't do it for that. I did it because I wanted to paint, but I mean, I love to teach. So I'm trying to think, did that help me? The Okay. For me, the MFA did like, it didn't teach me any skills in teaching. Like it, you know, having my MFA did not make me a better teacher. You were a TA. No. Or you were not. I was. Maybe I was. I don't know. Maybe I was. I don't remember had to be i think we did have to be didn't we yeah i I was a ta for a couple painting teachers i mean i just think i'm a good teacher so i mean i love it i just do it because i love it yeah my family my dot my father's a minister so like i sort of came from that sort of help people be be part of the community kind of background so for me it's hard okay there's sort of two sides to this the master's program did not teach me to be a better teacher. I was already, the reason I went to get my master's was to be a teacher. So that was always my plan. It was never anything. And and that that's actually something that caused a little bit of problem. Now, me looking back on 20 years is that when I went to grad school, I went there with just going, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get this diploma so that I have the credentials to be able to get the job that I want. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So you knew you wanted to teach. That was your thing. Well, and and the problem with that was, is that I didn't make friends. (laughs) And so I didn't build networks. I didn't build a community. I didn't build a peer group, all this kind of stuff, because I was so singularly focused on, I need that diploma so that I can get to this thing later in life that this other job thing. And I didn't take advantage of that network that I was building in my program, in the program. And that I believe has been a a great detriment to my career. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're paying for. 
Oh, we hung out. You and me hung out all the time. Yeah, I know, but we also haven't spoken in over a decade. Yeah, but here we so. are now. And sometimes that happens. <laughs> well, but I mean, but I didn't, I didn't create that like group of people. Like you, I took some friends with you to Los Angeles. You all sort of had that peer group and those yeah. support uh, networks mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things. I didn't do that. I literally like when. Within one week of graduating, I flew back to the to, or I drove back to um, the East Coast, and that's it. There you go. I just sort of cut ties and walked on because I wanted to teach. Yeah, and that was a mistake. Totally mm-hmm. a mistake in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I left uh, a week later after us as well, and I went to Los Angeles. So, yeah, that's a learning lesson, to everybody out there. If you go to a grad school in a, in a specific location, stick around for a couple of years. It's funny that a lot of people stuck around for about f- between five to 10 years afterwards. And those people seem to have worked things, I would call it like, quote unquote, better than I did. You know, th- their careers went in a slightly better trajectory. Mm, that's interesting. I would like to know those uh, those numbers. But, you know, I mean... You're going to do what you're going to follow and your your instinct and your life is going to lead you one way and another. I mean. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. When I say like better, I'm like judging it off of a certain set of criteria. I mean, mm-hmm. I got to work in the United Arab Emirates and, and live mm-hmm. in that the crazy lifestyle there. I now get to work in the European Union and travel around all over there. So like in many ways, my life is very attractive and very enticing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not right. – you know, it, it depends on the criteria that you base upon, like, quote unquote, like success. That's the, the thing. And when people are coming out of school, they really feel like they have a certain time limit. Like they have to be do things at a certain time. And then you realize later in your life, like we are all on our own time span. You know what I mean? Like we are some of us are late bloomers. Some of us are going to hit it at whatever point. It's just and it's a lot about just the faith. And if you want to talk about faith. Your, 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 your family, <laughs> but uh, about uh, the faith in the art, you know, and faith in who you are and, and being able to get beyond the, the, all the, the bullshit and, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of being an artist. And when you get it, you know, you actually get it and uh, it, it, you appreciate it more, you know, so... I feel like I'm making the best work of my life now mm-hmm. and 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 I feel like I'm on a good path to be making mm-hmm. like I can I can envision sort of what is going to come from what I'm making now also mm-hmm. so like I I really enjoy where I and I would never mm-hmm. have envisioned what I'm doing now even 10 years ago. I always thought you had a great voice. So this is perfect <laughs> for you. I couldn't do a podcast. My my voice is way too squeaky for this shit. So you you are per- Thank you, you very have much. a very yeah you could do some fucking commercials and shit, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah you know you have that big baritone like uh, assertiveness in your yeah my father being a priest it sort of yeah he taught me to enunciate you are already and- a very good speaker that's 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 for sure now I just need some intelligent things to speak and then I'll be good. Something you brought up that I sort of want to actually ask you about is not something I'm asking everybody about, but I want to throw it in, mm. is the the nature of like, so when we were in graduate school, there was this huge, early, I, I guess I felt there was this huge emphasis on the individual 
artist. So like mm-hmm. you as an individual, you make your thing mm-hmm. and you put it out into the world, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas these days, and from what you've been talking about with Epoch and everything else that you've been doing in the past mm-hmm. two decades, collaboration and working mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. seems to mm-hmm. have become a more important thing. Mm-hmm. Has that? Do you feel like that's that has always been there and we're just catching up to it? Or is it is it's a, an actual sort of trend that's been changing over the past couple decades? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a trend. I would say that with the, the advent of social media, I think that that became uh, something that was really important, building community. And especially with the idea of NFTs, a lot of conversations about how do you build community. And I think it was just a natural progression for me. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it became organically right to do such a thing. And already having struggling with being a person of color in general, I never really put my name on anything on Epoch and, and kind of let it just be who, what it is. So and the way for that was for me freeing so that people don't are not uh, uh, adhering my identity to something that I've created. You know what I'm saying? So, and being, and being community, having being community based is, is, you know, is more helpful for, uh, um, within this, this world of, of, of social media and stuff like that. I think it's, it makes more sense to be that way. And, and trying to get together with a bunch of other people who are like-minded and try to build something that's more equitable, you know? So, I mean, there will always be individual artists. I'd still make individual works, of course, and stuff like that. But I mean, I mean, there, there's definitely uh, uh, the importance of, of relying on comedian and doing collectives. I mean, collectives have been around forever, you know what I'm saying? But I think in this new way of, 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 being online and stuff like that it makes sense to be having a community and building community and either whether that's individual artists making and trying to build a community around your own work that's one thing but also being a collective and 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 bringing other peoples to collaborate that's a different thing and i think collaboration has lends to a lot more um in a way interesting ideas for example, like when I first started Epoch, you know, um, it, it, it's just a, a simple white island. And I was trying to talk about the the downfall of uh, the galleries institutions because of the quarantine and, and stuff. So, but then you see the progression of all the shows I've done and I'm learning as these artists are bringing me new tasks and new works to try to build. So 60% of the artists I work with are analog artists. So they don't really know how to uh, model or, or even ventured into the digital world and I'm helping them translate their work and try to help them realize their vision. But then there's always challenges that they bring up to me. Like I've never tried to do that. Let's try to figure out how to do it. So this progression of trying to learn and, and adapt to other people, it's making me making the exhibitions better and better. And, and me being able to be more communicative to other artists and, and trying to help them realize their vision uh, really helps uh, me as well in my growth and, and how technical, just on a technical basis, I'm getting quite, quite good at, at what I'm doing. Are you still in touch with anybody, teachers, students, anybody from the graduate program? I would say yes, but not like really close. So our mutual friend, Dickie Wassler, always in touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first person that came to mind. A lot, uh, actually a lot of my undergrad classmates, it's mostly through social media that I see all the wonderful things that our classmates are doing. 
I'm just wondering, because a lot of what people keep bringing up when they talk about arts careers is the, the fact that like the, like while, while getting the degree, like getting the diploma is great. The people you meet in an MFA program are oftentimes like the people you then sort of go out into the world with. That's something that I haven't mentioned. And the importance of this kind of education is especially, for example, in the new genres class that we're in, where we're exposed to uh, media outside our own personal, you know, focus. And this, it's really important if we're speaking to artists who want to go into these programs, that you pick a program that has variety in their students because those students are going to be your, what you're describing, what is it, what would it be called? Your, I'm thinking go-to people to ask, you know. Peer group, your critique group. That peer group is going to continue alongside parallel with your uh, future. So it's important to make connections in school, whatever school you're at, because you have the same interest. And we're all going to go into different worlds, but we still have that similar experience where we could call on each other's professionalism and or just bullshit with each other about what's going on. So we understand each other. Like, I'm really comfortable talking to you. That's sweet. Thank you. It's not the case with everybody. Like I, I, there's a certain level of trust that's developed in peers and you understand who you want to be around because naturally we have different, we have, we have people just like in real life that we were like, Oh, I don't want to hang out with that person, but I could talk to them about art. But this person I could go, you know, hang out with and not talk about art and it's going to be cool. I feel like the, like our year, of course, I don't know the years before of graduation, graduates or not, but like I feel like our year did not stay very close. I only know it was like so far I've spoken to like you're like the ninth or tenth person and only like two people have even said they keep in touch with anybody. Like it doesn't seem like a lot we, we all kept in touch with each other. And I don't know if it was intentional by the school the professors to sort of create a competition-y kind of feel or whether we just did, weren't close to each other. Yeah. In school? No, in school I felt very close, but like as soon as school was out, like everybody just scattered to the wind. Yeah. So for me, the way that I stayed in touch is wherever I would go, I would say, well, who's here? So for example, Linda Ford was in Rhode Island also at the time that I was there. Um, there was uh, other people that I met nearby Minneapolis, and they would fly down. Uh, Dickie was in Washington, D.C. So I had, like, where I would go, I would try to connect with other people. Uh, and then that peer group then it, uh, grew uh, going to South Africa, not South Africa, going to Switzerland, where I had now peer groups that were studying in that school that were from South Africa, that were from China, where else were they from? They were from international, you know, international. Uh, so I have this peer group now that I've developed or that has naturally developed. Uh, and that's really important, I think. They're, they're always there. If they're really, uh, I don't know how to say this nicely, if they're true friends. <laughs>
Yes, I do. I was right after school, I was working with Ann Chamberlain, who you'll remember, um, but and worked with her for a while. And then she ha- she had had breast cancer early on, but then she got brain cancer. So she passed away. That was really sad. And I'm still in touch and working with Linda Connor, different little projects or just in touch with her emailing and I see her when I go to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I still think Linda hates me. Oh, she doesn't hate you. <laughs> I don't think she remembers me at this point, but I still think she hates me. Mm. <laughs> she doesn't. Does she even remember me? Like, have you mentioned? I don't, I'm sh- you know, I think it's, Linda's had so many students. I think she started teaching in her early 20s. Okay. So I don't know how you track time. everyone unless you're making, you know, an effort to stay in touch on things. So, you know. As a, as a teacher and myself now, I totally understand that. Yeah, yeah. But she may. I don't know. I do know that people have had different experiences with her. I just felt I had a lot to learn from her. And I feel like her... She's so good. She's looked at images, photographs for so long that she can read an image better than anyone. She she said at one point that she could have a student put up an ocean or a body of water and she will know where it is. Like it's almost like a psychic ability. <laughs> and I believe it. I believe it. I can totally see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, in touch very closely, no. I was in touch with John and Justin until I was in San Francisco. We've seen each other, not only just talking, like we've seen each other in person often. Then, you know, Facebook friends, I keep keep an eye on <laughs> what one is doing, but we haven't talked in a long time with uh, Dick and um, Brett Goschel. I see him active. In terms of teachers, it's pretty sad. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm unique in this, as I'm really bad at keeping in touch or everybody does this, but really bad. Right in the beginning, I was asking for a lot of um, recommendation letters because trying to get some teaching jobs, and so I needed that. And the only teacher I was in printmaking, so already a pretty particular <laughs> section. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of a strange group, a little closed, I would say. And I was also, I wouldn't say black sheep, but they had an issue with me because I was coming from six years of printmaking in, in college in Romania. So when I arrived at CFAI, I wanted to do anything but. I was trying, you know, I getting classes in film, in music, and this and that. I was, I was trying to get away from printing and paper because I knew how to do it. I need lessons in printmaking, and they were furious. The teachers couldn't take it. I even tried to move to new genres when I realized that that's not the place. But it was too late. They didn't want to deal with it. So I ended up graduating in printmaking, but like doing prints just at the, at, the, at the end, you know, just 
part of the installation with bees that I made for the MFA show. So <laughs> live, if I may say. So, um, so my relationship with my teachers was really like a little cold. I haven't really heard any good stories about many people keeping in touch with the teachers. So I wonder if it really? was us or whether it was the teachers. With Suzanne Olmsted, which was the only one I had very little classes with, I ended up keep, keeping in touch and she was very supportive even after and she wrote me letters. Meaning, meanwhile, Gordon Kluge, who was my main teacher and the head of the department and I TA'd for him and everything, disappeared off the face of the planet. Did not respond to my request for, for letters. Didn't, and then I, I was, I guess I'd say <laughs> like a little bitter because I felt like we had an understanding and we had things to talk about and I didn't insist. You know, maybe I was supposed to be a good puppy, but I didn't <laughs> immediately after. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to beg. So that was my grad school. I mean, I left with hand, empty hands. And my biggest advice, get a studio immediately after school. Because I was there, again, I'm a particular case. I'm not sure how much is useful, but I was there on a visa. If I didn't work, I was out. Okay. And I, it's not, I couldn't work three hours a day and that's it. I had to work with an employer who sponsored me the whole shit. No. So without a studio, I make this big works on my kitchen table for the following 10 years. And my work got small, small, small. People can't see this, but she's she's making a hand gesture of approximately the half of an like a, a, a piece of paper, an eight by ten piece of paper. Let's say smaller. <laughs> so anyway, my work got, had to get really small and really mobile because of you know not having a space. But having a space is not just that; it's 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 community. It's just a place to be yourself because after 10 years of just working and making applications, you forget who you are. After another 10 years of having a kid and moving to another country, you really forget who you are. But, <laughs> but yeah, studio, it's really helpful. Studio keeps you in touch with, with others. And another thing that I realized that I should have done, obviously too late, <laughs> to, to, you know, the, the three, four, colleagues that became friends, you know, with whom you had a good connection, make a group and exchange, you know, a drawing a day, um, a conversation, keep yourself between yourselves uh, working. You know, I often joked that I wanted to do like, you know, Friday night, what I call like poker nights where like a bunch mm -hmm. of artists just came together, played cards and just like everybody brought a piece of art that they were working on that week and just sort of yeah. just got feedback. So sort of a social reason, you know, playing some cards yeah. and you also talked about your arts and what you were thinking about with your work. I've never done it. I've been talking about it for like 30 years, but I've never done it. I, I was fixated with 
Cinematech, you know, I really like introduced a lot of my American friends to Russian movies that they've never heard of. And I really like that, you know, that that's something that I enjoy doing. I would make a dinner and, you know, one thing and watch a six hour movie. <laughs> um, but that's also a way of like having, having a conversation and to, to which you can attach also your work. Facebook, I guess, is the only platform that really allows me to do that. So I do follow, I mean, I am, you know, friends, this is the term, I guess, but um, I keep in touch with Jack Fulton, who I love dearly. Uh, again, one of my favorite guys ever. Um, so I kind of follow him. I see what Amanda is doing. You know, she's got her kids up on Facebook sometimes. I try not to, I have to say. I've never put kids' uh, faces, my kids' faces on Facebook. I'll give them the time when they grow up. I, they don't need to, you know, kind of the opposite of what Livia was doing back then with Ramona. Yeah, Ramona is married now. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, Ramona's married, living in Ohio, and Lizea has moved from New York down to Florida. Which is where she grew oh, up. Oh wow! So that's... Nice retirement. They always go to Florida. <laughs> I didn't want to. I was about to call it retirement, and I was like, she didn't retire <laughs> to Florida. She just moved. She just chose to move. Yeah. So I, I, I do keep up with you know some people. The thing is, I, I was actually trading a lot of artwork with uh, you know kind of our peers when we were at the San Francisco Art Institute. So I've got. My entire house is covered with artwork from, you know, our peers back then. Uh, so I, I actually see them every day. You know, I remember, you know, they re I, I'm reminded of them every day, which is great. You know, I was really saddened. You remember Henry Wessel? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really, really saddened when he, uh, he passed away. I still remember his puffy vests that he wore every single day. Shorts, shorts, and a, right. and a red puffy vest. <laughs> yeah, such a great guy. Super, super positive. He was always positive. Yeah. Like, I couldn't tell if he was just stoned all the time or he was actually just that positive. <laughs> he was just positive. And I actually TA'd for him twice. I, I, was, uh, I, I TA'd, I think, two classes for him. Ended up being a great, great experience. I still quote him to my students, actually. His really? whole ethos of, like, if you're going to do a street, be a street photographer or a documentary photographer, that his idea that he would go out every single day and shoot five rolls of film, regardless. It doesn't matter whether they're amazing or whether they're stupid. You just get in that habit of shooting five rolls a day, every day. And over time, you'll be able to then go back and find a, a series or, a, or an interest or a topic or whatever. But the consistent nature of just like saying, I'm going to set these sort of, I would say limitations, but I'd say like I set these guidelines for myself of five rolls a day, regardless of the topic, always be shooting. Yeah, totally agree with that, I have to say. So I think for me it was uh, when I was, uh, you know, when, when I back when I was teaching, you know, you always have to deal with a student who comes up to you and say, you know, I've got this kind of artistic blockage and I don't know what to do. And, you know, I can't think of anything. And, and you know, it, it happens. I mean, honestly, it happens. They're, full, they're totally serious about it. And I've always told them, you know, just take your camera, 
shut the fuck up and go out and photograph. Something will happen. It's a it's a totally statistic media. Honestly, you know, you shoot twenty roll, you know, you shoot twenty shots. One will be okay. One will be great. The other one will probably not be good. But you'll have those two to talk about, and then kind of you know you, when you go the next day, you'll be able to kind of summon. I guess in a way the the opportunity based on the those two shots that you shot yesterday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just don't think about it too much. Just go and work. And I think that's, you know, exactly what you said about, you know, quoting Henry. Yeah, it's just, you know, go out every day, do it, it will happen. One of the things I learned about well, now, so like I know now about what grad school should have been was that it should have been a thing, place where you made friends and you sort of made a peer group and you kept connected with your teachers or your whoever's or whatever it's like. So you made a, a group of people. So did you keep in contact with any people, sort of either the people we graduated with or even you know people from SFAI in general or the teachers or anything like that? Well, I, I was a lot, I was one of the younger people in the grad school, uh, the grad program. So I mainly hung around mostly uh, undergrads during that time. And yeah, me and you were hanging out and stuff like that. But it says, as in the connections that I kept uh, were basically with more of the undergrad students. So I moved out to Los Angeles with uh, Jason Wang and uh, Aaron Garber Markovska, and we got a place here in Los Angeles. See, we either decided between that and New York, but like New York, again, it was cold and it also seemed way too competitive. You know what I mean? And it, it seemed, and it was a lot closer to come to LA from San Francisco, obviously. And there was a, just, the scene was just starting here in LA in, uh, in the early 2000s. So I thought it was, we thought it'd be a great place to kind of hunker down. The rent was a lot cheaper and uh, living expenses were cheaper. So that actually was a really good decision. And uh, unfortunately though, after, grad school and when you leave grad school i think you're supposed to stick around for a couple years maybe after grad school to kind of maintain those relationships and stuff like that and i just bounced right away i lost many of the connections that i you know even like trying to apply for grants grants and uh there i'm going to leave you leave you know you can't get any more regional or uh city grants or anything like that anymore so kind of kind of kind of fucked up there maybe oh me too yeah 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 but otherwise, uh, uh, coming to LA and, and the community that was here, they really supported what I was doing. And right after I got into grad school, I started working for this gallery uh, as a preparer. And then they actually sh ended up showing my work. And I was fortunate to go on all these art fairs and be within a, a, a higher end community of artists that uh, were really influential of me going to a grad school. So like I was showing with like Mike Kelly and Albert Olin and Paul McCarthy and all these artists. And I was just this young kid person of color. And I didn't know if I really fit in. And I still don't know if I do, but you know, everything is, everything, you know, it, it's an accumulation of experiences, which actually led me to where I am now. That's including like creating a virtual gallery that I do now called Epoch. But even before then I was uh, making work after grad school. I, I wanted to tell you this. I thought about this before. I'm a, I think I am a particular case because I'm a foreigner. I came from a different system and I didn't understand what I'm getting into in grad school in America. I mean, I wasn't prepared to pick my classes. I had six years of college where 
the classes were assigned per year. First year of printmaking, you do the, the graphic graphic arts, it's called in Romania, it's not printmaking. You do both computer and traditional. But you have calligraphy, you have history, you have philosophy, you have all this stuff that you have to take. And they're mandatory up to the sixth year where you get to choose a few things. <laughs> But you're not moving around. You're not, you're just, you choose when you apply to go and be in that department. Was it also a point like you chose to be in a department slash like a particular professor to have as your mentor, kind of like in their studio? You already have from the first year a mentor that follows you for, for the six years. Um, you have many professors, but there's one that's kind of like keeping an eye on you and you have most, most classes with. I know because I went to teach here in the Czech Republic and on the application form, it asked what, yeah, like who was my studio, like what studio professor, like was in Germany, they do this like, too. They still do this very, you know, like old school, like the master's class, you know, you choose your master. In well, our case, it wasn't it for you, but exactly, <laughs> but. Anyway, the point is very, very different than, than, than SFAI or at least American school anyway. Was there anything that you ever turned back and you were like, God, I wish they had taught me this? Mm, no, not so much. I have to say that um, the only thing that I did experience a little bit, I think, was the being kind of not an international student anymore, but kind of an international person living in San Francisco and, and actually in the art world, despite San Francisco, I think, being, you know, very open, very, um, what would be the liberal? I think it was, you know, I, I, people, people, I think, within the art world, actually, did label me as kind of an international person and no, I was ne not a local person, despite having pretty darn good English and, and, you know, kind of understanding the culture and, you know, being from a Western culture, you know, Israel is not that different in, 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 in that sense. But, but, it, but you always, to some extent, feel like an outsider. And I think that that really stayed on for me living in San Francisco, but Maybe someone coming from North Carolina would feel the same way. I mean, who knows? Honestly. Oh, I, I've been an expat now for almost 10 years. So, like, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, going back to Israel for me was very easy. You always feel at home when you're home. And, and San Francisco, uh, as much as we tried making it a home, and it was terrific. And really, I, I was really lucky working with unbelievable people at the San Francisco Art, in uh, Art Institute. I, I was working very closely with uh, Chris Bratton, who ended up being the president of the San Francisco Art Institute after the incident with Ella. Professionally wise, I mean, I, was, I, I felt really lucky. Um, but at the same time, art, as, as an artist, I, I always felt that you know, they looked at, you know, he's doing great work, but, you know, my, he's a little, you know, it's this international guy, <laughs> Israeli guy. <laughs> yes, I know that feeling, sadly. But it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal because I was really focused on the students. And for me, maybe it was an easy way to deal with it. 
but it ended up being great. I mean, we remember we're very fond of the seven years that we lived in San Francisco. For us, it was a really good experience overall, but we were also really happy to be back here. And I think uh, this is where the real life started. That was kind of a very long, very nice vacation. Expensive. Yeah, expensive. But from a 20 years perspective, it's, uh, you know, the time that you're a student is actually a big vacation. You know, quite honestly, it is a big vacation. (laughs) I still think that way. And I I still wish I could go back and enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. But actually, in the arts, that wasn't so much a thing. Like my school, at least, did not have any, you know, scholarship options to study in the United States or or Fulbright did not apply to me because I came from Germany and Germany did not have, uh, at least for the arts, for the fine, for the what's what's called the fine arts programs, was not participating in any Fulbright. And no Erasmus programs? I don't know about that either. There was one option that was, I can't even remember that was what that was called, kind of a German version of a Fulbright. I applied for that one time, but they really kind of tried to get people into like, you know, exotic countries. Like if you wanted to go somewhere to Africa or to a country that was not so well traveled, you know, because everyone wanted to go to the United States, right? So uh, so that was super competitive. So somehow I thought, well, I'm just going to graduate first uh, over there and then I'll I'll see if I can just do this on my own. And uh, I thought I was just going to go for a year. Um, I applied, you know, and I didn't have the money to do that at all. It's like, well, let's just see what happens, right? And then SFAI actually offered me a partial scholarship, which was very helpful and which was then the decision maker that I was going to do that. Yet I thought I would only be able to do it for one year. So I was never, I was, I, I did not come with the intention to graduate from SFAI. I came with the intention to do this as a personal experience kind of thing, you know, like on top of my uh, arts education in Germany, which was pretty long, actually, it was like, I think five and a half or even six, I, I think even six years because I did kind I did one major and I did a second major on top of that, which added another one and a half years, I think, like three semesters. And uh, so my, my uh, you know, in, in Germany, it wasn't like you didn't pay for education at the time, right? So you kind of dragged that out on purpose because you you wanted to get the most out of it. And you knew, you know, once you're out of art school, things are going to become much more difficult with having access to workshops. Uh, to I mean, what I mean by that is like, you know, like a print shop or a photography studio or whatever it might be, right? And the art school I went to had like, excellent facilities really except for anything computer related they were really behind on that but other than that it was pretty great and so you know you we weren't in a hurry to get out of school at all over there yeah and then when I came to the U.S., uh, I really loved it at SFAI. And I was like, oh, I'd really love to do that second year somehow, you know. And uh, then I got like an additional, uh, I wouldn't, I don't even know if that was a scholarship. It was like something for international students that SFAI uh, gave me on top of that, on top of the already uh, partial 
scholarship that they had offered me in the beginning. So then I was like, well, maybe this is just gonna somehow work. Maybe I'm, I'm just gonna do that. And my then boyfriend also helped me out in, in terms of, you know, loaning me some money because I couldn't get a student loan. You, you, you can't do that if you are an international student. You basically actually have to prove to the U.S. government uh, ahead of time that you have money enough to sustain yourself for the time you are in the U.S. And that doesn't mean just tuition. It means uh, life costs, everything. So there was a certain amount that we had to prove that I'd have. And we did this, you know, I mean, I can say this now, of course, we we used a little trick, you know, we put all his money into my bank account for a day. And, and then, uh, you know, and then basically, uh, I would, I would send a copy of that bank account statement, you know, so that I would be able to prove it was something like that. And then he also wrote that he was going to support me, which, you know, it was clear that I was going to support myself, but, you know, you have to do these things somehow. And I did it and it worked. And I, uh, yeah. And I stayed that second year and got my MFA and I loved it. I mean, I uh, am very grateful for it. And I think, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 it was definitely something that I never regretted. And I think it also gave me the possibility at least or the option to do all the things that I did later with artist residencies and all of those kinds of things. And I guess I can say that, you know, because I don't have student loans to pay back. I mean, life has been super challenging for me in terms of financial because I'm uh, mostly just an artist and I have odd jobs here and there. I do not have a teaching position because that actually was kind of, you know, I, I went back to Germany after grad school and then it took me a couple of years to get a visa to come back to the U.S. But I did not have a work permit until seven years later. So, so that means I was not able to take any like, position like even even an adjunct teaching position where you would you know where where you would kind of uh, work up toward a, an actual teaching position a, uh, you know a, a professorship so that um, was not open to me because by the time I finally got my work permit I applied for a while but of course they were like well she doesn't even have any teaching experience at all and she's seven years out of grad school you know so I missed that opportunity because of the whole immigration process. So uh, that wasn't open to me, unfortunately. At some point, I just realized, okay, I have to give up on that. I can't teach um, on, uh, on, a, you know, on an academic level because I'm just, I just missed out on that time-wise. Well, you, but you missed out on it because you sort of chose to, you, you, you chose to continue to be an expat. I'm sure if you had gone back to Germany, you probably could have gotten a job teaching. No, not, not in Germany. In Germany, it's really a different system. Or it was, it was at, a, at the time. I don't know about now. But in Germany, to get a teaching position at an art school... You had to have a PhD. No, 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 no. There were no PhDs in the arts. Okay. You had to be very acclaimed. You had to have like exhibited in the Venice Biennial or something like that. It was just like we had we had people like Joan Jonas teach at, at my school. She was actually my teacher. Joseph Kosuth was teaching in Stuttgart where I went to school. All our teachers were like highly acclaimed people. 
So that's why, uh, no, in Germany, I would have never gotten a teaching position. No, maybe in another European country, that's possible. I don't know. And I don't know how the situation is in Germany now. I have no idea. It's just, you know, there aren't that many art schools there, actually, you know, cons uh, comparing to the US. It's like art education was very, it was sort of special, you know, you had to, you, ha you couldn't just go into it. You had to pass a portfolio review uh, as an undergrad you know you had to be very clear why you wanted to become an artist and then it was a portfolio review and then you had to come for a two-day test where they where they gave you all these assignments uh, yeah, like a drawing assignment a sculpting assignment and I think there was like a design assignment and then you a meeting with all the professors where you would sit on a, on a big table and they would ask you questions Uh, and the questions were mostly, why do you want to become an artist? What is your goal with that? You know, and I mean, that was right out of high school. Usually you, they didn't even take you right out of high school. They wanted you to do something else first, like travel or do, a, do an internship with somebody or, you know, something like that. Oh, yeah. I've heard stories about that whole process. That, like, I know somebody that, like, they had to score, like, an 80 or a 90% on the test in order to get in, and they got an 89, and they got deferred until the next year and had to retest mm -hmm. again. But it's a free education also, so, like, there is a little bit to, like, you could, you know, I should hope there should be a pretty high standard to letting people into a free education. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I don't know about how this works now. I'm not familiar with any system with a, with a, with a 90% or that wasn't when I was there. It was different, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I think uh, they pay a little bit of tuition now, but it's a token. But at the time I was there, there was no tuition and it was free and it was very, very, very selective, you know, to get into art school. So um, yeah. And I mean, yes, it, It was great, you know, but at the, at the same time, uh, 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 and the same is, tr is true for teaching there. They don't need that many art teachers, you know, because it's it's not that many art schools. It's, uh, uh, it's really, really different from a lot of other countries. And yet Germany is incredibly well known for their, their artists. So it's sort of fascinating. There aren't many art schools, but the few that do come out are really, you know, high profile, quite spectacular. So. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Germany, I really don't think uh, any like teaching would have been uh, an option at all. So, uh, and in the U.S., you know, I don't, I, I didn't come to to the U.S. Uh, with the idea in mind to become a, an arts teacher because I didn't even know you can do that with an MFA. Uh, you know, I, I thought you you needed to be super famous, just like in Germany. So the idea even only came later and then I tried you know once I had that uh, that uh, green card um, and that was uh, that was around 2007-8 I think when I got that and it was just too far out as I was saying and I I just at some point just thought I'm wasting my energy trying to apply for those jobs I never even got an interview it was also when the you know the the financial quest crash um, kind of hit so uh yeah so then uh i just uh you know i just started doing I, i just did my artwork as i had before went to lots of residencies or continued doing that rather uh, now i'm basically you know i've done all kinds of jobs like teaching german as a second language and i have uh right now i'm actually funny enough um 
like my art also has been shifting a lot and I think that might be another topic to talk about but I'm I'm currently doing a lot of ceramics and I just started um, teaching at and running a, a little ceramics program at an at a museum at the Randall Museum in in San Francisco so I'm teaching adults and also kids right now so uh, but that's completely new. That's like they were revamping their studio after the pandemic uh, because everything was down and uh, their main teacher went out of the country and hasn't yet come back or won't come back. They don't know yet. So I, I don't even know if this position is interim. I hope I can at least teach somewhat, keep teaching some classes there. It's kind of fun. So, yeah. The hardest part about being here is that the arts community like I was out with the lady the other day well the other day it was like three months ago now but feels like the other day but I was out with this lady and she's been in the arts world here in the Czech Republic for like 40 years and I and I asked her I said hey I've been here for now for four years how long will it take before the Czech arts community sort of embraces me and lets me exhibit here because they don't let me exhibit here because I'm not Czech and she just turns to me bluntly and just goes, never. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, that paints a very clear picture. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, um, that was my experience in New England. Uh, New England is a very beautiful place, but there's a, there's a saying such as like the New England welcome. It's very uh, not abrasive. Uh, it's very uh, not abrasive. But uh, kind of like standoffish, like, and also the complexity added of me being a Mexican. It was really crazy to experience discrimination verging on racism in the United States. Whereas in Switzerland, I don't think I experienced discrimination or racism. I experienced this fascination that people had, like I was exotic to them or something. You know, which is a big difference. <laughs> the the level of discomfort that I had in in New England uh, was an eye opening of how far uh, the United States still has to go. Ignorant, horribly ignorant of these kinds of issues, because of course I am a white male American <laughs> of European descent. All these kinds of you know, the I am the representation of the traditional art market so the, mm -hmm. what so what are some of these difficulties that you've had uh, that you're talking about well i'm i'm chinese canadian so i'm not even american <laughs> so you know, you know that huge chinese canadian <laughs> contingency that's that's an odd mix yeah chinese canadian so i mean i'm not chinese she's chinese enough to be curated into any chinese uh shows and the art world loves categorization, you know what I'm saying? And it's them for to fit thing people in boxes and kind of, it, it's limiting. So uh, a lot of the times uh, they even see my last name and they don't really know how to position me, even though some of the most of the work I've done is nothing to do really necessarily with identity. Now, in saying that when everybody is making work, of course, a part of you is going into the work. That's totally unavoidable. But you know, a lot of the cases, if it's not identity direct, they don't know how to place you. And considering that I am, I'm a Chinese Canadian and I don't have a home, 
you know, I don't fit in America. I mean, America actually hates me because of the virus. So, uh, <laughs> Do you wait? Do you actually get grief about that? Like I've read it in the news, but like, is that an actual thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there was a lot of racism that was felt, and it was the tension was high. Um, I even curated a show about artists of the Chinese diaspora, and uh, it, that was an interesting process. Um, I, uh, I so I send out my mailing list, and usually I get maybe three or something unsubscribes to my mailing list, and um, that's you know for me not bad. And then when I did the Chinese diaspora show, I got 30 unsubscribes and mainly from Europe. So thank you. And I was asking my partner about this as like, why they've been following me from the beginning and they know the kind of types of artists that I've been showing and uh, Latinx and everybody else. And it was curious. And then she says, well, it's because you actually wrote out, this is a show about the Chinese diaspora. And I think that's when they... They scroll down and they uh, had to unsubscribe and take this out of their lives. So in a way, I thought that that was very telling. And of course, I don't give a fuck if they, they left or not. It's more like that I'm actually maybe doing something important, you know. So that was a cursor to me that, you know, that was, that was something that needed to be said. So that I did that show. And it was called Wonderland. And uh, what I did was uh, there's this Chinese uh, theme park that they tried to, to create in China that was based kind of like on Disneyland. And they ran out of funding and all that's left is basically uh, this castle that's basically decrepit and stuff like that. And they haven't torn it down yet, even till this day. And what I did is I remodeled that for the virtual environment. And then I placed all, uh, curated all these artworks and artists inside this, this space and outside the space. So just, you know, talking about these kinds of, issues of, of being nowhere and, and having, you know, it's, it's complicated. So the ideas of simulation and the, the, the things that, that Chinese Americans or Chinese Canadians are have to, uh, have to deal with. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the exhibitions that I do are quite subversive and, and the ability to um, react to, to social political events is, is what I'm, what I'm basically going after and I can do it very quickly uh, being a virtual gallery. So some museums and stuff like that have to plan a year ahead to kind of get the exhibition together. And usually I can model and curate and uh, put the, together the show within a couple months and then release the show. So um, in that way, I, I'm more, um, I'm able to respond to the social political events that are, are happening quite quickly. So, yeah. All right. And it's also building a you know community of artists that are are like minded and and uh, sharing all this work. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a that's another learning I had to do. <laughs> so I mean, I remember I was uh, mm, I don't know if I should be saying that part, but whatever. Let's not let's not go there. <laughs> oh, now you want to know. <laughs> I do want to know. I absolutely want to know what you don't want to tell me. <laughs> In my whole life, I've been trying to get away from the ideas of stereotype. Okay. So when people see me, they think, oh, submissive Asian, blah, 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 quiet. And I've always through my whole life have gone pretty much the opposite of that. And I've done everything where I've kept my word. I only speak the truth. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. But I also know that I'm going to just do me. It doesn't mean I'm not intelligent at all. I mean, what I'm doing is essentially uh, 
kind of breaking down your your expectations of what I am, you know. So when I was first asked to speak at uh, USC Roski, and I was talking to my partner, I was like, you know, I know this is like a grad theoretical class, and I'm like, I know that that that's what they want me to do, and 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 talk all this theory and stuff like that, and I can do it, but I don't think I should. She's like, you know what, just do you. And just be honest in the vulnerable you and and give them some real shit. And that's what I did. And it worked out really well. And um, I think that's kind of what I am, you know, and what they can expect of me. So, but just going back to, I, I am, I feel really happy about where I am right now. The, the work I've done and the work I'm doing, I, I really think this is the first time that I, I've done something with the gallery that is something that nobody's ever seen before. And in that way, I, I do think I'm going to be making whatever kind of a historical impact that may be really egotistical to say, but I really do think it, it's something that I'm doing is quite important. And I hope that it's going to be recognized, but you know, being a person of color, it's, you don't really know. It's kind of, everything's up in the air. <laughs> To wrap this up, I'd like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, studio mates, or anybody with an interest in arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.